I really think we should start, just before I get into the message this morning, let's just pray and thank God for the way He loves us, okay? This is a short prayer together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you'd help us to focus in on how much you love us and the practical ways you care for our needs. Thank you for adopting us into your family, for giving us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you for the promise of the Spirit to help transform us into the character of Jesus. We pray now that your Spirit will be on us. Give us ears to hear. And I pray that you would encourage those of us who are struggling and confront those of us who are blinded to our own sin and just be with us now. In the name of Jesus, amen. How many people are uh, familiar with the certain reality show, I don't think it's airing anymore, called What Not to Wear? Now the guys are like, well, maybe I heard of it somewhere. <laughs> I once mentioned this in another church I used to preach at, and uh, all of a sudden when I said this, what not to wear, there's a sudden squeal of design, delight from the back rows. I thought, I think it shocked everyone, so we got a real fan there. The premise of this show is this. Um, I've never seen, uh, I, think, I think it's just for ladies, I think it's just for women. I've never seen guys have makeovers. But if the whole idea is that you makeover, it's a makeover show, right? And so um, some poor lady who's, I don't know, frumpy or inappropriate, or this, their friends and family say, you need a clothing intervention. They send their names to these people and they get flown to New York and given a big wad of money to go shopping. And the whole week is spent, you know, getting your hair done and just looking good and what kind of clothes to wear. And it, actually it starts with going through the wardrobe. They literally go through the closet and the two hosts, Stacy and Clinton, are of course quite stylish and a little bit on the snobby side. They just throwing stuff into the dumpster and the poor person whose closet is getting examined is like uh, uh, like this anyway it all makes for a great TV and, and I've mentioned before reality TV isn't really about reality but it's entertaining or so I've heard anyway I have a friend who watched the show but that's, that's the premise well this morning I've entitled my sermon, What Not to Wear, because a couple of millennia before Stacy and Clinton ever started their show, the Apostle Paul basically said similar thing. But it's all about putting off stuff that drags us down and putting on who we really are in Jesus. Oh, typically at the end of the show, there's the moment of truth, the big reveal where the person comes down the stairs and goes, Ta-da! What do you think? And everyone goes, ah, I can't recognize you, blah, 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 and life is transformed. Well, we're talking about a different kind of transform, transformation today. Not just a surface transformation, but an inner transformation. That is the business that Jesus is in. So I'm going to start, uh, pick up in Ephesians chapter 4, where we left off last week. With the Lord's authority, Paul is really speaking not just of his own ideas, but with the full authority of God behind him. With the Lord's authority, I say this, 
live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, who are the Gentiles? Who is he talking about? Ephesus was a large city in modern-day Turkey. You can still go there today and, and see the ruins. But at the time, it was a very influential city. There was a huge temple to uh, Diana there. And it was big business. It was a big tourist attraction. In fact, when Paul started preaching there, he spent three years starting a church in Ephesus. His preaching was so successful, it cut into the temple business and almost caused a riot. Because all of a sudden, demand for the temple trinkets was going down, and uh, the merchants who were involved in this business were really, really, really upset. But in that culture, there was a huge... Uh, tendency to idolatry and immorality and some of the stuff that went on in the temple of Diana is really not fit for to talk about in public. Anyway, people lived this way and that's why and then when they were saved, when they started to follow Jesus and came out of that lifestyle, it was really easy to get sucked by, back in by friends and relatives. Some of you know what I mean. You start following Jesus, it's real easy to get kind of sucked back in by your own peer group or family expectations. Anyway, Paul says, don't live like the Gentiles do because they are hopelessly confused. Now notice in these few verses, there's a really tragic progression of what happens when we live life without Jesus. First of all, they're hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. Okay, they're just, they just don't know the difference between right and wrong. They're not aware of spiritual reality. They wander far from the life that God gives because you keep on walking in darkness long enough, your eyes get adjusted to the darkness because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. That means intellectually and emotionally, they don't want to have anything to do with God. And what happens? When we start living life without God and start wandering away from God, deliberately, all of a sudden, these entrenched patterns take root and we keep walking away from God and everything is a consequence, right? If you've ever parented a small child, you know about what consequences are. Do you want a consequence? Which generally means, uh-oh, you know, I'm in trouble. I don't know why parents don't talk about good consequences. I guess they do, but... There are consequences to wandering away and living life without God. And the last few lines describe this. They have no sense of shame. They're not sure what's right or wrong. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And that's what Paul was seeing all around him in Ephesus with his immoral uh, idol worship or people were just, it would just blow your mind trying to figure out how can you get so far from God. So there's a really sad progression here. From confusion to spiritual darkness to being lost. And then minds are closed and hearts are hard. This week I had the opportunity to sit with a friend in court while he was going through some legal stuff. And in the hour preceding his case, a few other cases came up. And it was a really interesting place to be because you see people in trouble, who made bad choices, and the Crown and the defense and the judge are all trying to gen genuinely working together to figure out what is best for society, what is best for this person. But 
my buddy sitting next to me kind of elbowed me partway through the proceedings and said, do you see a common theme here? I'm going, uh, no, I didn't, I, I missed it. I was just paying attention to all the details. I said, all these folks are making bad choices because they're broken and they're making bad choices. And uh, in this case, alcohol and drugs were really making a bad situation worse. And they were having to deal with the consequences of their actions. So it was kind of a sobering reminder that we're lost. Now, some of us can say, well, I don't do drugs and alcohol. I don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. It doesn't apply to me. But the choices we make, the choices we make as life, living life without God are just as disastrous if we're filled with grudges and rage and resentment and fear, if we live a life based on fear, fear of what other people think, that it just controls us. There's so many things that can bind us up. And it's not these blatant things necessarily that Paul was talking about. We'll get to that more later on in this passage. But this applies to all of us. If we live a life without God, if we close off our minds and our heart and our hearts towards Him, they're really serious consequences. Paul continues to say, look, you guys, you didn't learn that when you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, okay, you've learned the truth now. You're not walking around with, with a closed mind and a hard heart. Now you've opened up your mind and your heart to Jesus. He's in the process of changing you. So therefore, you're different. So because of that, Throw off your old sinful nature. Go through your wardrobe, your spiritual wardrobe, and throw in all the stuff that just isn't appropriate anymore. When I grew up on a farm, we had a special place for our barn clothes. They never went inside the rest of the house. We had a special place. I can still remember the smell of those barn clothes. I don't know if they ever got washed. I mean, that wasn't in my department. But I did do, learn how to do laundry when I moved out of the house. But they had a certain uh, odor about them, a certain air about them that you would never wear on a date, for example. Right? Just doesn't work. You don't wear barn clothes on a date. And so Paul is saying, take these old, all this old stuff, root through your spiritual closet, all this stuff, and get rid of it. Throw out your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Lust is that selfish, I want everything. It's not just sexual. It's, it's, it's lust for attention. It's lust for money and stuff. It's, it's feeding those appetites inappropriately, right? And deception, hiding, covering it up so you present differently. Get away from that stuff. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And then put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now let's camp on this a little bit. Paul is saying, there's a temptation here to get moralistic. You know what moralism is? It's teaching people rules as a way to get right with God. I can go really moralistic right now and put off the bad old stuff and put on Jesus no matter what. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do it. Just try harder. And I could give you a rousing spiritual pep talk. And maybe you think you got your money's worth. I know some people who go to church like that and say, oh, pastor really got worked up today. I felt like 
you know, we got somewhere. But the bottom line is nothing changes, which is kind of disappointing. So I'm not going to give you a moralistic pep talk. And I'm not going to tell you just try harder at this following Jesus thing. Because I have that t-shirt, I have several of the, those t-shirts, and it doesn't work. What do you mean? Following Jesus, trying harder doesn't work? Trying to do it on your own steam doesn't work. It doesn't. It just ends in frustration and makes you more and more frustrated and kind of disillusioned. And so we live lives of quiet desperation thinking, why doesn't this Jesus thing work for me? We're missing an important component. In between these two um, commands to put off and put on, what's in the middle? We cannot do this by ourselves. We can't just... Uh, the Paul says when we throw off, that means it's a one-time, the, the sense of the original Greek is like, okay, this is a one-time thing, all right? I'm throwing it off. That's why when we baptize people over here, we say, do you renounce the devil and all this works? I'm throwing off all that stuff. So legally, in front of God, in front of the universe, I'm changing sides. I'm joining Jesus' team, okay? I renounce all that stuff. So he says, now, since you've done that in your former way of life, now, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And the verb tense there is really subtle. It says, let the Spirit keep renewing. It's an ongoing action. It's a daily thing. Do you remember when Jesus told his disciples, if you're going to follow me, pick up your cross. How often? What? Daily? Really? Oh, man. Yeah. Pick up your cross daily. So daily, we say, Holy Spirit, renew my thoughts and attitudes. Help me to change the way I think. Help me to change. This, this change that I've started in renouncing the old stuff... Help me to be different in the way, change my attitude, change my outlook. Once we change, God helps starts changing our perspective on things, then our attitudes start to change. Then our actions start to change. It's not easy and it's not automatic, but we cannot change the way we live unless we're changing things up here. Now, it's not just mind over matter. I'm not trying to say... Think your way to a better life. Let the Holy Spirit, invite Holy Spirit, change you. So we have to have this ongoing conversation with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'm walking down the street and you run into people who are, I don't know if they're talking on a headset or just talking to themselves. When people encounter me doing that, generally I'm saying, oh God, help me with this. You know, it's that kind of ongoing conversation with God and the Spirit. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to move your lips. But inwardly, he's saying, Holy Spirit, I'm coming up to an awkward conversation with someone right now. I need your help. Or, Holy Spirit, I know when I get home, I'm going to be tempted to go somewhere on the computer that's not going to be helpful. And I've had that pattern of doing that before, and I, I want to break free. Change my thoughts. Change my attitudes. Change, the, change my actions. That's the key to putting on the old stuff and putting on the new stuff. The key is let the Spirit continue to renew your thoughts and attitudes. If you don't do this, you're going to end up with moralism. 
just keeping religious rules, and it's going to be a sad and miserable existence. So let Holy Spirit invite him in to the situation. Then, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, Paul says, all right, here's the deal. You, you decided to put off the smelly, junky stuff, and you decided to put on that new wardrobe you want to show off, and you look really good. They, they say that clothes make the man, not exactly, but that clothes make the man feel good, you know? So if you've got a new outfit on, or uniform, or whatever, it's like, yeah, I feel like I can conquer the world. And now that we put on this new outfit, we, we keep putting it on and reminding ourselves, no, Jesus died for me, that's where I get my value, he is making me a new person, ta-da, look out world, here I come. And Paul says as a result of this, okay, here's some practical things that need to happen if you put on Christ, if you put on this new life. Stop telling lies. What? Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We're all part of the same body. We can tell whopping lies. Mark Twain said there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. Now you can, you can tell big whoppers or bend the rules a little bit or exaggerate or minimize. It's all deception, right? And we're really good at presenting a false front because we don't want people to really know what's going on inside. Stop telling lies. Tell your neighbors the truth. We're all part of the same body. If communication in the body, in our body, is dysfunctional, then our body parts don't work properly, right? A lot of health problems result from, you know, cells not communicating well and not getting the right signal. Same thing with lying, especially within the body of Christ. And don't sin by letting anger control you. <clears throat> Another version says, in your anger do not sin. I remember when I first read that, I thought, what? You mean it's not sin to just be angry? No, it's not sin to be angry. Anger's an emotion. It's just a light that flashes on the dashboard saying, whoa, something's wrong. But what we do with our anger, if we let the anger control us, that's a problem. And he goes on to say, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, because anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, if you've ever tried to do this in a close relationship, you know how challenging it is. It can get really loud or icy quiet, however you deal with anger. But Paul is saying, deal with it quickly before it grows and grows and grows. And before the issue gets so big that it's almost impossible to deal with. Anger, when it's not properly dealt with, gives a foothold to the devil. That means Satan's got a right saying, hey, holding a grudge? <laughs> Good, I'll camp there for a while. And then he kind of makes a little more room and says, guess what? You know what? They also did that. Oh, and that other person? They gave you the hairy eyeball in church the other day. They looked at you funny. I bet they don't like you either. In fact, I bet the whole church hates you. Why don't you just give up? Whoa. That just came out of one little thing that wasn't resolved. See, when we give the devil a foothold, he just, he loves that. And he just pours more gasoline on the fire. He didn't cause the initial spark of conflict, but he will come along and oh, try to ignite it and make it bigger than it really should be. So stop lying and don't let your anger control you. If you're a thief, 
Quit stealing. Lots of different ways to steal things, right? Not necessarily shoplifting or every robbery. It's stop. And, and Paul says, use your hands for good hard work. And, this is interesting, and then give generously to others in need. So work hard so you can be generous. It's an interesting twist on the Protestant work ethic, isn't it? As we're told, Protestant work ethic says, work hard, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. But why? For myself? No, Paul says, so you can give generously to other people in need. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. How many people here have people in their lives that drag them down? Oh, maybe we shouldn't show hands. Okay. I know, all of my hands. Is we all have people like that. Whether they're loud and cross, or they're just sneery, or some people are really good at just saying it on the side of the mouth, well, you know, and, ah, um, let everything we say be good and helpful. Foul and abusive language doesn't have to be just dropping four-letter bombs everywhere. It can be language that, that makes people, other people feel smaller so we can feel bigger. You get that? And all of us are tempted to do that at times. So don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear you. Do we have people in our lives that actually build us up in conversation? Those are the people I'm drawn to. Not because they tell me what I want to hear, but people I know who will be straight with me and genuinely build me up and have my best interests at heart. That's what we need to be to each other. And then Paul continues and says, don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some impersonal force. It's the Spirit of Jesus. And just think, now, I have to be careful about this. Say, don't let Jesus down. Don't make him sad. It can sound very manipulative and almost uh, well, a moralistic Sunday school approach. But basically, Holy Spirit has got so much invested in us being transformed to look like Jesus. And he's there offering to help us, just right there. If you have a friend that you want, genuinely want to help, not to rescue, but genuinely want to help, and they go, man, don't need you. And they keep saying, man, how are you going to feel? How are you going to feel? If we do that to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, it just frees them. Or if you're a parent, and you see your child make wrong choices, it's like, oh. Or you see a friend make wrong choices, you're going, oh, why? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, it's like we've got a little trademark. We've got a tat. We have a tattoo of the Holy Spirit. Can't really see it, but He's marked us. And said, hey, this person belongs to Jesus. So, live like it. Live like it. Live up to who you are. And then live it up. And Holy Spirit will help you do that. It's not about trying harder. But just saying, 
Holy Spirit, I really need your help. Lean into him. And then, when he whispers something in your ear, when you get to recognize his voice, do it. Even if it doesn't feel comfortable or normal or just... Now, I'm not saying I have to be careful when I say normal. It doesn't mean God may be weird. But for some of us, we're so entrenched in our behavior of self-protection and selfishness, for us to think about someone else as we live up the faith, it's going to feel a little bit awkward and unusual. But we'll get used to it. It just takes practice. Paul continues to says, all right, here's some more stuff to get rid of out of your, this is some more stuff to go into the dumpster. You don't need this in your wardrobe. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all kinds of evil behavior. This is a pretty ugly list. Bitterness is the kind of, it's a sense that, you know, some people are just a permanent sourpuss. It's like they just have nothing but lemon juice to drink. And they let everybody know that they're bitter. You know what, life, life has got a lot of challenges. It's got a lot of difficulties. It's either going to make you a better person or a bitter person. So we got to decide. Well, Paul says, get rid of bitterness. How do we do that? Holy Spirit, help me to process all this junk. Help me to throw it out. Rage, sudden flare-ups. Really, I can't believe you did that. You just boom, like this. And it's not, there's that split second when our lizard brain takes over the, the scientists call it the, the prefrontal cortex, the, the thinking part of your brain, but the instinctive part of your brain takes over. And it's like, flare-up of anger. And it's like, oh, I can't believe I said that. I'm even angry I said that. It's like, ah, oh, you made it. It's all your fault. Boom. It just goes like, whoa. And the poor person's like, Whoa, where did Mount Vesuvius come from? Sudden flare-ups of anger, of rage. Or, he talks about anger, which is kind of a slow-burn anger that makes you just sort of feed it, and it keeps eating you up, and it gets kind of delicious after a while, because it means you can just hold a grudge and make yourself feel better because of those people, it's their fault, and you're just kind of burning anger like that. Paul says, you don't really don't need that in your wardrobe. Get rid of it. Harsh words. Sense here is of rotten, the word rotten. Rotten fruit and rotten meat are not very appetizing. They smell bad. They're just rotten. And that's what harsh words do. They just corrupt everything. So we don't need those. Get those out of your vocabulary. Slander. As I was studying for this sermon, I read this interesting quote in an old commentary. Many a reputation has been murdered over teacups. Ouch. The way we talk about people, whether we have our pinky extended or not at the time, the way we talk about people is really, really important. Now we can come up with some slanderous accusation of people, or we can just say, we can do it very politely and say, well, you know, dot, dot, dot. And then people say, oh, got any good stuff? You know, it goes on all the time. I don't care how old you are, with your eight or 80, there's always a temptation to slander other people. Paul says, Get rid of that stuff. 
I don't know boss I used to work for, and whenever it was tempting to talk about someone else, do you know what he's, he just had this thing, he just had this kind, no-nonsense way of shutting it down. He'd just say, no names, please. And you just felt lovingly rebuked, like, zip it. No names, please. No slander. But Paul says, get rid of all this stuff. And instead, be kind to each other. It's really interesting that the word kind in Greek is krestos, which is really close to Christos. And I think the um, ancient, Christ ancient Christians, maybe it sound like they're really old, the early Christians use that play on words to remind themselves, okay, to be like Jesus is to be kind. Not nice, but kind. Wanting the best for the other person. Forgive one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Wow. So as we think of a spiritual wardrobe, what we're going to wear, I'm wondering if there's any item of clothing that God has been talking to you this morning that's in your wardrobe, and maybe a trusted friend would tell you, well, you should really deal with this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to point that out to each one of us this morning. Some of us need to put stuff off. Some of us need to put stuff on with the help of Holy Spirit. Okay, we cannot do this on our own. But Holy Spirit is here willing to help us put off and put on what we need so let's pray. Think about this. Keep this in your back of your mind, especially as we go into communion today, because there's a good opportunity to uh, just to come straight with God. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help us, through the Spirit, know what to put off and what to put on. And I pray that you continue to speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name.